Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome along to yet another episode of the Euro Trip. And I begin by asking my co-host, James, a question. James, I deliberately didn't brief you about this before we started today's episode. How many days until Junior Eurovision 2021? Well, I can tell you with sheer confidence that it is this many days. Oh, blame you, Riley. I've written it down somewhere from a note later on. Oh, I don't know how many days, Rob. I don't know why you put me on the spot like that. Uh, let me guess. 25. 22. Is it 22? I don't know. I don't know the exact answer. I think 22 seems a bit soon. I think it might be more than 22. Anyway, because Junior Eurovision is very much, as we say, around the corner, you had one job to do between last week's episode and this week's, and a source tells me that you've still not done it yet. Are you talking about my crucial travel plans to get from where I live to where Junior Eurovision is happening? Because it's not happening on my doorstep. Famously, if you want to get somewhere in a foreign country, you do have to book some form of transport to get you there. Have you or have you not done it yet? Can confirm, I have not. (laughs) Right. So when we announced to everybody on social media last week, the Eurotrip's coming to you live from Paris with three special episodes. We mentioned it on last week's podcast as well. And you said, yep, sounds great. Can't wait to be there. Are you just lying to the listeners, or are you actually going to join me? Well, it wasn't a lie, was it? Because at least 50% of us were definitely <laughs> going to be there at that point. But hopefully, hopefully, after we've recorded today, I promise you, the flights, the trains, they'll all be booked. The flights and the trains. 
I've got, I've got to do a lot of traveling from where I am. Yeah, well, that's what you get for living wherever that is. Is that <laughs> Arctic Circle? Is that where you are? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, mate. Pretty much. Well, I guess if you're doing that after this, we should probably crack on then. It's time for the Euro trip. As you know, Alessandro always said, take it away. Hi, we are Davi and you're listening to Euro trip. But I don't close any doors. I love Eurovision. I love Berlin Festival, and it will always be a part of me. That night, I found myself live on Russian state television for the Russia song for Europe. I said to Joe, "Send BBC Teenage Life." Maybe two weeks later, I was at a press conference, and I was on making your mind up. Everyone was like, "Eldar, calm, celebrate with us." The end of filming, they put honey on my face and I needed to be, you know, sexy with this honey on my face. Hi there, my name is Martin Estudal. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, James. Me, Rob. And joining us this week, we've got somebody a little bit special. They are not an artist. They've not represented their country at the contest itself. But they are, in fact, a head of delegation. It's Michael Keeley from Ireland. I thought you were going to say Santa. <laughs> it's a bit early for that, isn't it? He did feature in uh, Eurovision 2007, I think, Santa Claus. Uh, but it's not him. And importantly, it is Ireland's head of delegation. And there is a lot of excitement about what people are going to hear on today's episode. Because we've let out a little... little few tidbits if we're going to put are they called tidbits we'll call them tidbits i need to stop saying the word tidbits <laughs> before today's interview and there's loads of interesting stuff on the way we teased you a little bit last week that's a better word isn't it teased we teased you last week with some of the stories that are going to come from the chat with michael uh, last week and there is so much for you to look forward to and naturally you may be wondering how committed ireland actually are to the contest based on some of their recent results but hopefully this clip here will give you a flavour of Michael's approach to Eurovision itself. I want to emphasise the idea that this is a top professional competition. This is not an amateur competition. It's not, an, it's not Opportunity Knocks. It is the most professional song contest in the world. And it attracts the top professionals from all over the world. It is a fascinating chat, honestly. Make sure you sit down, make yourself a cup of tea or whatever you're doing. Listen intently because there is so much to come from him. And also, we will be joined on today's episode by friends of the podcast. They do their own podcast. It's Mike and Dale from Aussie Vision. Me and James had a very early morning call with them where they were in Brisbane and we were in the freezing cold United Kingdom. But it was lovely to chat to them. So we've got all that and more to come. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. It is indeed the Eurotrip here for another week. Great to have you with us. Thank you for choosing the world's favourite Eurovision podcast for your Eurovision listening this week. And I mentioned earlier on, me and James coming to you live from the frozen United Kingdom. It's absolutely bitter. And I'm doing it with a little nana blanket on my legs while I record oh, today. Let's have a look. Can you get your leg up that high? Uh, probably. Hold on. Oh, oh, I've lost my slipper. I'm wearing my slippers as well. Oh, dearie me. Sorry you can't see this at home. Go on, let's have a look. People pay good money for this. <laughs> oh, look at that. I wasn't expecting it to be that colour. I was expecting a lovely Christmassy red. But no, is that is that black and white? What's the pattern called? Uh, I don't know what the pattern's called, but it, it's, it's just grey. Grey and white. It's a bit classy. It goes with a decor. Got a grey sofa, you see. Well, he's put some thought into that, hasn't he? Wow. 
yeah, you can tell it's getting into uh, <laughs> autumn and winter time here in the UK because it's getting really cold when we start to record. We used to love it during the summer, didn't we? We didn't do much over the summer, but you know, back in August we did the contest and me. It was lovely and summery. We had our t-shirts and shorts on, but now, oh. It's going to be cold. It's going to be probably cold when we head to Paris next month. Yeah, it certainly will be. I've got my thermals ready. There's a lovely image for you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks very much for that. We did get a question on social from Chris the other day, because I think on a previous episode, we mentioned that when me and you head to Turin for Eurovision, because of the Airbnb situation, me and you will be sharing a bed. And again, lovely image for you there, listeners. But yeah, Chris asked whether it would be a similar situation in uh, Paris uh, for warmth. Maybe. But I don't think it is. I think we've we've both got lovely little single beds. Well, that's a relief, isn't it? I've got no idea. I've not booked flights or anything. So I'm, I'm pleased to learn that we've actually got somewhere to stay. We've got somewhere to stay. Um, the pictures look nice, at least. But who knows? Maybe we'll be catfished by the apartment. But I certainly hope not. Well, anyway, you mentioned there a tweet from Chris earlier on. And as always, you've been in touch over the last seven days on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Eurotrip Podcast, talking about our episode last week, where we joined by Romanian legend Ovi. Of course, he represented the nation twice back in 2010 and 2014 alongside Paula Sellinger. And as soon as we announced this on Twitter last week, uh, Katie on Twitter said, yes, bring it on. Hopefully you listened and enjoyed, Katie. Uh, Similarly, uh, Thomas got in touch on Instagram saying Ovi Round 3 would be awesome news. Yes, it would, because he did tease the fact that he's got some songs potentially and would return if some of them fit the bill. Uh, And also, we were chatting last week about our ESC 250. Of course, that vote is still open. We were trying to choose who we would give our 12 points to but only for artists who have been on the podcast. Uh, Victoria, thanks for getting in touch on Twitter as well. Uh, She said her winner would have to be Kano. And honestly, shouldn't probably say this, but I did tweet it as well. I forgot Kano had been on the podcast (laughs) earlier in the year. Is this how it is? If you don't do the interview you forget that they're on the podcast. Is that how it is? You only consider interviews that you've done? The only one I remember to this day is Rambo Amadeus. That's the only one that's forever (laughs) etched in my memory. He's been on every week for the last 50 odd weeks. It's just been a constant Rambo fest, which wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. (laughs) Loads of you have also been getting in touch about the interview that you are going to hear later on on today's episode. Because as we mentioned earlier on, and James put it much better than me when he said teased, we teased the fact that this week you would be able to hear from Michael Keeley, Ireland's head of delegation. And we put that out on social. We got some great questions from you as well, which James was able to put to Michael. But yeah, loads of social media reaction to the fact that we were going to be chatting to him. Uh, Matt got in touch. He said, I would be so much more excited by this news. Uh, This news being that the Late Late Show, we think, will be used on the 21st of January to select Helen's entry. We think more of that later. Yeah, Matt said, I would be so much more excited by this news if the words Late Late Show weren't in it. Well, rest assured, Michael does address that point of contention. Also, uh, just Paul, he tweeted us and said, and I this I enjoyed this. Ooh, international jury. It is exciting. Michael Keeley does tell you, James, as you will hear later on, that there will be, he hopes anyway, an international jury involved in picking Ireland's entry for 2022, which is thoroughly intriguing. Yes, it is. Thanks for not giving it all away there, Rob. There's still plenty for you to listen out for in the chat with Michael a little bit later on. And when you do listen, 
And when you hear from the boys from Aussie Vision as well, don't forget you can get in touch with all of your thoughts. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And for any of your longer messages, hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. I feel a little bit intimidated because it sounded like you shouted on the email. Oh, sorry. As if now listeners feel compelled that they have to email because you've shouted at them. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. But if you don't get in touch via the email... (laughs) He's doing it again. (laughs) What's happened here, everybody, is James is just a little bit nervous because he's about to do the Eurovision News Roundup. And we all know what happened last time James did the Eurovision News Roundup. He was a little bit stressed and couldn't quite read my sentences because he was too lazy to write the news for himself that week. This was about three weeks ago. Anyway, James, it's your turn to do the Eurovision News Roundup this week. Loads happening in the world of the Eurovision and Junior Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, first question, have you actually prepared this week? Yes, I have. And honestly, you just scroll through the news, don't you, and realise just how much has been happening. So I've been given a pretty difficult task this week, but I shall do my best. Can I take it away? In the words of... God rest his soul. He's not dead. You're not a sand. <laughs> Take it away. Brill, thanks. We'll start with Junior Eurovision, of course. A press conference was held last week in Paris to announce further details about the contest, which is due to take place in, I told you it was in my notes, just 25 days' time. Uh, we found out that Elodie Gossoir, Olivier Mean, and former French representative Carla will be hosting the show. Carla, of course, represented France Junior back in 2019. Elodie will be known to many fans as a regular spokesperson at the adult contest. And Olivier commented, or commentated rather, on the contest back in the 1990s. Now, I don't want to interject so early in the news, and apologies for doing this. Uh, James, do you want to tell everybody that you were indeed in that press conference and uh, didn't realise that the entire thing would be in French? Oh, yes, yes, I was in that press conference. I think it was on the screen behind everybody who was talking at the top table as well, uh, which I didn't realise till about halfway through, but it was all in French. I was doing some work on the side as well, and I didn't even get a question asked. I could understand bits and bobs. I could pick up the odd word, but gosh, not all of it. Oh, it was a, it was a tricky hour and a half. Well, thank you on behalf of uh, all of us for, for going and, and sitting in and, uh, yeah, enjoying yourself to a bit of French culture of an afternoon last week. Yes, it was uh, it was enjoyable uh, to a certain extent. Now, anyway, uh, a special song as well last week was released called Imagine. It will form part of the interval act for the show and will be performed by all of this year's participants. If you go and stream it or download it, all of the profits will be donated to UNICEF. Uh, now, speaking of the interval as well, we'll also be seeing Barbara Pravi perform a new version of Voila, the song that finished second in Rotterdam earlier this year. Reigning junior champion Valentina will also to be performing her winning song from last year and finally Angelina who represented France in 2018 is back she'll be the spokesperson for the nation meaning including this year's entry the last four performers to represent France will all be involved in the contest next month how exciting is that now some news on the adult contest if you're in Slovenia and you want to represent the nation in Turin next year then I'm afraid that opportunity has come to an end, at least for 2022. Damn it. Oh, yeah, that's a shame. Sorry, Rob. Uh, submissions have been closed. However, better news if you're in Croatia, Rob. Excellent news. I'm excited. Sorry, I couldn't get my 
button to press the unmute, but I'm excited about it. Never mind, the submissions window was due to close tomorrow, but it's been extended until the 12th of December. So get your songs written, everybody. Get them sent in. What a relief. I was going to do it before the big shot, but I'll do the big shot first and then (laughs) I'll do that. Uh, In San Marino, they have revealed details about their national selection process. You'll remember we spoke to Valentina Minetta a couple weeks ago about it. Uh, The broadcaster there has announced that 200 submissions have been made so far with names across Europe and as far afield as Australia and the USA are pitching to represent San Marino in 2022. I believe that when I say it. And finally, uh, never mind all these countries who are still preparing for next year, there's one that's streets ahead of the rest. Streets ahead? Is that a phrase? I'm going to roll with it anyway. Streets ahead of the rest. And that's Estonia. They kicked off national final season nice and early at the weekend with the first, get this, quarter final of SD Lowell. Instead of the usual live performances, the music videos of the first 10 songs were played out during the show, with five qualifying to the next round, including Stig Raster, who represented Estonia back in Eurovision in 2015. Very nicely done. Very, very nicely done. I can't believe we're here already. National final season is is upon us. I'm not ready for this. Normally it's Albania doing a show that you don't understand in, in December, but now... It's, what is it? It's mid-November and we're watching God. Eurovision shows on a Saturday night. God, it gets earlier and earlier, isn't it? It's like Christmas adverts on the TV. They just get earlier and earlier. It's when you see the tubs of chocolate in, in Tesco in August and you think, oh, it's just getting earlier and earlier. It's like national selections are having the same, same approach. But you don't see Tanel Padar in the, uh, in the aisle in Tesco, do you? Much like you do the Quality Street. I'm amazed you've not got a story about that. I feel like you probably have seen a Eurovision winner in Tesco at some point in your life. Have I seen a Eurovision winner in Tesco? No, I haven't. I've seen a UK Eurovision national finalist on the DLR, the Docklands Light <laughs> Railway. Oh, wow. Are you allowed to tell us who that is or is that top secret information? I'm going to leave that up to your imagination and uh, maybe I'll tell you next week. I-, I can guarantee it'll be underwhelming. That's for sure. <laughs> but you mentioned Estonia and bizarrely, that is where we started our chat with friends of the podcast because we promised you a couple of weeks ago that we'd get them on and we have finally been able to make contact with Mike and Dale from Aussie Vision. James is laughing because me saying make contact makes it sound as if they don't have the internet in Australia and we had to send a fax or something to get a hold of them. Yeah, it does sound like you thought they lived on the moon or something. Not entirely dissimilar, Australia and the moon. Some similarities. <laughs> but... Needless to say, we finally got hold of them and it was great to have them on because I know a lot of you listening to this probably also listen to their podcast as well. So it's a bit like when, it's not like this at all, but you know when some of your favourite superheroes have their own films and then sometimes they star in a film together? Imagine if me, you and Mike and Dale did an entire episode together. Maybe we could do it in Turin, an Aussie Vision Eurotrip double header crossover. Is that you floating the idea right now and then us not going back on it? Because you've got a habit of saying things and then we just have to make them happen. Sometimes we pull them off, sometimes less so. I mean, it's up to whether or not Mike and Dale will be up for it, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to float the idea. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is we promised you Mike and Dale from Aussie Vision on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. We have finally delivered on that promise. It's wonderful to have them on. We, of course, chat Australia and what they're going to do for Eurovision 2022. but. We started by hearing how early the pair of them had had to get up to watch Estee Lau's quarterfinal on Saturday. And this is what Dale told us. 
Sunday morning here in Australia. Yes, uh, 5.30 a.m. here in Brisbane. Got up early to watch um, video clips of <laughs> Easty Lau, uh, the first national final of the season. So, yeah, I mean, I was excited. I know it's very early in the season to have it, but I think you could just watch the clips later on YouTube, but there's something special about watching it live and watching the hosts and all the artists come together and their faces as they, as they react to missing out on the semifinals. <laughs> I think we put out a tweet as well on, on Saturday, which is kind of like, you know, this is it. Like, there's 41 artists that we haven't met yet, 41 songs that we haven't heard yet. There is something about the start of the journey, Mike, that's just like, I don't know, it gets it, get, it does get exciting because you're like, you know, here we go. 2021, we can put in a box. 2022, here we go again. Absolutely. It's all about starting that new chapter, isn't it? And that first, uh, that first hurdle, that first show. I think also adding the format of it, it was such a new thing. What were they going to do? How were they going to stage it or, or, or broadcast the program? So that was that real interest to see what Estonia were doing. But uh, yeah, we're all up and running now. So it's, uh, there's no stopping until June at this point. The thing with as well this year is obviously in 2021, we saw there were so many kind of returning artists. So we didn't have as many national finals, understandably. 2022, it appears that every country that could possibly have a national final is having a national final. One of which, of course, we are delighted about returning. Have to talk to you guys about Australia Decides is back, back on the Gold Coast. You must be absolutely buzzing to have your national final back because it's such a big Eurovision celebration that you guys can kind of own as your as your own thing. Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, having a national final as Australians really kind of, I think, brought us into that big Eurovision family. We finally grew up and became that Eurovision nation. So to, we, we missed it last year, definitely. Great to have it back. And also, we're just so far away from Europe. Fans here don't get a chance to go to the competition a lot of the time or don't get a chance to pop over and see Melody Festival, for example. So to all congregate in this one area on the Gold Coast, have this massive party, have this almost mini little Eurovision. It, it's just, it's, it's spectacular and so important for the fans here. Dale, can you give us an idea about how big this is? Mike just mentioned how important it is to have a national final year after year. But how big is it actually when you sit down on an evening? You don't have to get up in the morning to watch it either. How big is this event when you watch it on that Saturday night? Well, obviously, we're there in the crowd, um, but they get a capacity crowd in a stadium. Um, a lot of people travel from all over Australia up to Queensland um, for it, which we're talking two to three hours on a flight. So it's a very big country, and you're coming up to Queensland in the middle of summer, which is very humid and hot, so it's a big thing for people to do. Um, so the actual atmosphere in the stadium is amazing, and then you have the at-home crowd as well for the people who don't travel. The ratings for Eurovision um, Australia Decides have actually been better than Eurovision Eurovision um, in recent times or on par about the same. So people are really invested about who we're going to choose. We're a competitive nation and it's like, okay, who's going to be the best representative for us? And people get together and get to have a party on a Saturday night live compared to waking up in the morning and having a few um, cheeky champagnes at 5am, which is always a little bit interesting. (laughs) And already we've got the excitement of some names that we know are going to be trying to represent Australia in 2022. You know, we've got, let's have a look. We've got Isaiah Firebrace is back, having represented Australia in 2017. We've got Jaguar Jones, hugely popular from having tried to represent Australia in the past, of course. And Paulini as well. I mean, is it possible to say which of those names you're most excited about so far? Or is it just a really good initial three acts that are a sign of good things to come, you hope? 
yeah, I was going to say a, a good solid first three names. Um, definitely Isaiah and Jaguar are speaking more to the fandom and the existing Eurovision fans. Paulini maybe one more for the, the mainstream audiences and, and the mums and dads and kids out there. So, yeah, incredibly exciting, particularly hearing Jaguar. She was probably, without taking home the crowd, uh, taking home the crown, she, she was the big winner out of uh, Australia Decides 2020, and she's gone on with it since then. So I think everyone's very, very excited to see what she's going to bring. We've seen Melfest do this over recent years, haven't we, where we've seen a lot of returning artists and we've also seen a lot of new artists that they're trying to bring through through the festival itself. How important is it for, for Australia to be doing this as well? Because obviously we've got these names we've mentioned there, Jaguar and Asaya, but we've got the new names as well. How important is it to have a mix of both? Oh, definitely. Hugely important. And I think it's very deliberate. Um, they've always tried to make the 10 songs a real smorgasbord of types of artists, things that can appeal to a lot of different audiences to tune in on the Saturday night. Um, and they've always really, um, the guys at SBS and Blink TV looked to Melfest and they go over to Melfest all the time and have worked really closely with them to go, okay, what do we want to do? We, if we can get a little you know, sliver 10% of Melfest, fantastic. And as part of that, I think in our third year, to start bringing back artists to get more exposure, more live TV music, which is a pretty rare thing these days, particularly on Australian TV. Um, it is fantastic. So I think we're starting again, that growing up part where Mike said earlier when we first started and now we're in that next stage of going, let's bring back some artists, let's get them involved and see how we go. And Jaguar Jones is, you know, um, becoming that kind of massive fan, the favourite um, who's returning and let's see if she makes it this year. And now the wait is on to find out, you know, who the other names are on, on the list. Have you heard anything? You know, you guys, when it comes to Eurovision in Australia, you're the go-to people. You're the guys in the know. So naturally, I'm going to ask, have you heard anything else? Oh, well, look, we don't know. And the thing is, there's never a very, a very consistent way that they announce. They're always a little ad hoc and how they do it. So we haven't heard any other names. There's obviously a lot of speculation. We don't do rumours. But there's two bits of facts that we can you can make up your own minds about. Alfie Arcuri, who competed in the inaugural one in 2019, he was over at New Wave in Russia um, over the kind of, I guess, your summer, our winter. And he got stuck over in Europe. And then he ended up working with a lot of European producers, including Boris Milanov, who we know has done a lot of Eurovision songs. Uh, SBS did reveal in the 700 plus songs that were entered, Boris Milanov did enter a song and you have to have an Australian songwriter as part of that. You can't just do it on your own. Now, those are two separate facts. If you want to join them together, you can join them together and see what could happen with that. But it's not necessarily the case. I mean, there could just be songwriters. It could be performed by a different artist. We don't know. But would I be shocked if Alfie was in the mix in some way as a songwriter or an artist? Probably not. But nothing is guaranteed. Mike, I've got a couple of names. Can I throw them at you that have been in the rumour mill before. We'll start with Damiyim. We spoke to her on the podcast earlier in the year and she said she may not come back to Australia Decides despite saying originally that she did want to. Thoughts on a potential return for Damiyim? I think everybody in Australia and also Europe would be absolutely stoked to see Dami back. But Dami also knows that it's got to be the right song. She, she had a runners-up song. She was, you know, an iconic performance 
she's not going to come back unless it's the right vehicle for her. So if I've got a feeling, I don't know, possibly not this year, but I certainly wouldn't discount her in the, in the future. But I think she knows the legacy she's got. She doesn't want to taint that. And if she's got the right vehicle, I think she'll come back. James, James, I know you've got another name, but I just want to say this is ballsy. The guys just said they don't do rumours. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're speculating. We're not yeah. saying... You're doing the rumours. We're just confirming them. <laughs> we're responding. No, no, she, she, Dami does have a tour around the same time. I think she's doing some tour at, around Uluru, actually, of all places. I mean, tours can be cancelled, but I think the timing, as a few people have pointed out, wouldn't be ideal. Come on then, Dale. I'll throw another name at you. And this is a name who's also already said that they would potentially like to work uh, at the Eurovision Song Contest. Not necessarily as a performer, but maybe as a songwriter. Tones and I. What about her? Yeah, that was really interesting that um, she did an interview in a couple of months ago saying she'd love to be involved in some way. Um, uh, the SBS Blink uh, guys told us earlier in the year that Montaigne... Um, was working a little bit with her. She heard Technicolor. She loved it. So there'd already been a little bit of involvement, I guess, even just as a sounding board. So I think it would be great if she was involved in some capacity. If she will, who knows? Um, I guess it might, again, come down to write song and all those bits and pieces. But look, she's been a world-class um, pop song writer. So um, if she gets us a song, I wouldn't be complaining. Now, of course, you guys are back. The podcast is back. Oh, that feels a bit weird shouting out another podcast on our podcast, but yours is so good. We've got to. You're here every Sunday, I think it is. That's correct. We record on Sunday, get that out here on Sunday night here in Australia, which I believe is Sunday during the day there in Europe. So uh, if you can't catch it on the Sunday, always good for the commute to work on the Monday as well. There you go. So you've got Aussie Vision on Sunday. you got us on Wednesday. You got your, your Eurovision fix is, is all covered. And of course, if anyone wants to read you guys' stuff, you know, you've got incredible news articles coming out all the time. Where can people go? Uh, they can go to AussieVision.net and on social media, you can find us at AussieVisionNet. Dale, Mike, it's always wonderful to have you on. So thank you so much. And I'm sure we will catch up again between now and Turin. And maybe we can finally meet up in person in Italy's fine city next May. Cheers, boys. We'll buy you a beer there. Take care. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. As always, brilliant to have Mike and Dale from Aussie Vision on the podcast. And if they're not willing to come to Turin and do a bonus special episode with us, at least they're going to buy us a drink. That's, uh, that's more than enough for me. Although they didn't say a drink each. I think they just said a drink. So it might be a nice romantic situation where me, you, two straws. And with the sharing the bed situation as well, I don't want people to get the wrong idea about uh, about this trip to Turin. It's turning into a more romantic liaison than I uh, first envisaged when, when we booked the trip. And it's you who's doing all this. You're, you're the one who's keep mentioning the sharing the bed situation. You're the one who's brought up this two straw drink situation. You're the one who's planting the seeds, pal. <laughs> I feel like planting the seeds is a dangerous analogy as well. <laughs> uh, we are slightly distracted because uh, some breaking Eurovision news is occurring. I mean, at the time that you're going to be hearing this, it won't. It will be less breaking, more reflecting. But uh, there is some some news during the rounds this week. You may have seen that Monaco are potentially returning to Eurovision not in 2022 but in 2023. Uh, rest assured. 
we will get our magnifying glasses out like a Eurovision Sherlock and try and get to the bottom of it by next week. So on next week's podcast, maybe a little bit more clarity on whether Monaco are returning to Eurovision. But if they are, very, very exciting. First, though, before we do that, James, I want to bring you a little bit of a show and tell. If, if you're up for that, you may remember this in school. You might have done a show and tell. And I'm going to bring it to the podcast. Do you know what, actually? In school, I never did a show and tell. So this is virgin territory for me. So I'm very excited. I once brought my dog in for show and tell at school. <laughs> did you? Yeah, we, we, had a, we had a puppy, which I thought was very exciting for show and tell. So I managed to somehow persuade my mum to bring the dog in which was exciting. So we did that. And the dog weed on the back of a, a, a girl's jumper. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, but I don't think she realised, and because I was, I don't know, seven, I don't think I told her what had happened. Um, so I think presumably what would have happened is she would have put the jumper on to go home and realised it was covered <gasps> in weed. Well, I certainly hope I don't walk away from this show and tell in a similar situation. <laughs> <laughs> Plot twist. That's No, that's not what's going to happen. Um, I have found what is possibly my favourite Spotify playlist of all time. Uh, other playlists are available? No, I don't need to say that. Welcome and thank you to Matthew Tyler Howells for creating this playlist. I discovered this the other day and yes, you can tell it was a quiet day. This is an entire playlist made up of Eurovision theme music. Now, to quote the description... Theme music and host songs from past Eurovision Song Contests. An incomplete list also includes themes from Melody Festival. James, are you excited? This is so far up my street, as my brother would say, the postman just doesn't deliver there. <laughs> I like that very much. Now, we've got all sorts in here. Um, we've got uh, the 2016 theme music. Let's have a little blast of that then, shall we? Now, already... This is recognisable. This is bringing it all back, isn't it? Honestly, it just feels like yesterday listening to some of these. Oh, just so It just brings back so many memories, doesn't it? Oh, this is Mons and Petra and oh, so many happy memories of the, the 2016 contest. James, where do you want to go next? You've got the, you've got the, the playlist in, in front of you. Where do you want to go? Honestly, there's so many to choose from, but I want to cast your eyes up to the very bottom of the playlist. Can you see that one at the bottom? Oh, yeah. One Together from Melfest back in 2018. Do you remember this one? Yeah. Now, oh, this is good, isn't it? So who's singing on this? Is it? I think. Is it David Lindgren? I'm pretty sure it is. I think it is. Love me a Melfest sort of common song. That's what they call it, wouldn't it? It'd be the common song. Like we have in Junior. Yeah, honestly, this sort of thing. You have just found a treasure trove of stuff on here, Rob. Well done. Well, don't thank me. Thank Matthew Tyler Howells, as I said. He's the one that put this playlist together. Now, I can't quite decide which Eurovision this is from. I, I need your help with this. So there is a track here called Wolverine, which on the face of it doesn't sound like a Eurovision song. But if you have a listen, that's recognisable, isn't it, as a piece of Eurovision theme music? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're struggling, though, aren't we? Trying to pinpoint the year. It's it's one of the Swedens, isn't it? It's either 2016, which we heard a bit of, you know, some of the other music earlier, 
Or is it 2013? I think it's, if I had to put my eggs in a basket, in Eurovision terms, I reckon this is 2013. So if you're listening to this at home, or on the bus, or wherever you are, and you're listening to that going, of course it's Eurovision 20 dot dot dot, put us out of our misery, please, uh, at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter. We'd love to be told whether we're right or wrong. Is it 2013? Is it 2016? Or are we just completely wrong? There are some other gems in here. We've got the uh, the music from my favourite Eurovision opening of all time. We've all got a favourite Eurovision opening, I think. Uh, this was mine. This. Oh, just hits different. This is the theme music from Eurovision 2000, the first Eurovision of the millennium, held again in the Globen in Stockholm. I remember watching this and you've got like futuristic things like high-speed trains in the VT. It's all very exciting. But then also, let's not forget, we've got some of the stuff from Rotterdam on there as well. Open up to Rotterdam, the power of water. And honestly, listening to that, it just feels like Rotterdam was just two days ago. And yet, as we found out last week, we are over six months away and we are now closer to 2022 than we are to 2021. Let's leave the the theme of the winner by Eric Van Tinge, which is what we're playing at the moment. Let's let's play that. Let's leave that to uh, to play us out. We can pretend that we're Manishkin. We can pretend that we've just won the Eurovision Song Contest as we're uh, as we're having a listen to this. This is the Euro Trip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. That's right. This is the Eurotrip. Thanks again for choosing us, picking us and listening this far. We've still got plenty more for you to come. And most of it is Michael Keeley, the head of delegation for Ireland and what a great chat this is. You're going to find out so, so much about the nation's approach to the Eurovision Song Contest. I was lucky enough to chat to him, but Rob, you were sort of lurking around in the background as I was doing it. It was a bit bit unnerved by your presence. I think what you've been there is very unkind. Actually, no, what you mean to say, you ungrateful man, is that (laughs) Rob booked the interview for you. That's what you mean to say. I was liaising with Michael off of RTE for a few weeks. We managed to get him on the podcast, but uh, to get into the technicals of it, I'd set up the Zoom. So I had to lurk there to press record, (laughs) to put it quite simply. But I was delighted to do so because, as you have alluded to, James, it meant that I got to lurk, as you said, in the background and have listened to all of his answers. And they are fascinating and we always say it you especially incredibly open and honest but Michael Keeley certainly was he really really was wasn't he you've probably seen some of the headlines and some of the quotes over the last week that we released out into the wild and you're going to be hearing a lot more of him uh, very very shortly he has been a tv and radio producer for the last two to three decades his first involvement in Eurovision was back in 2008 and you'll certainly remember who Ireland sent back then so we'll get plenty of his thoughts on Dustin the turkey of course and then he returned and has been the head of the delegation since 2013 so has had some good results has had some not so good results and he will speak very openly about each and every one of them and of course he tells us so much more about 2022 as well and their approach for Turin but 
we couldn't begin without getting his thought on what was naturally a very difficult result to deal with back in Rotterdam earlier this year. Well, to be honest, the biggest disappointment is, is always not qualifying. What happens after that, whether you come 11th or 16th or 8th, doesn't matter because you're not in the final. You know what I mean? Like that's, so that doesn't really bother me, you know, where you come. If you don't qualify, that's the big division. You know, that's the big, big moment of disappointment. So it was disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I thought that, like, you know, I thought that the song was good. I thought that um, our presentation was so different to anybody else's um, that it would stand out. But I just think that it was it was one of those things. Do you know what? People who work in television and people who work in sort of production in shows and stuff understood how tricky it was to do and how complex and just a technical feeder was to pull off. So I think people in television really appreciated the effort we went to. Maybe the TV audience at home, it maybe went over their heads a little bit. Do you think, looking back, do you wish you'd have just decided, let's just have her on the stage, singing down the camera and try something else? Or is it just a case of you're quite happy with the decisions you made and, you know, you'll just take the result as it comes? I, I, do you know, I, you can never have any regret. You, just, you, just, you, you always do what you think is going to be best at the time. You know, and 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 it's there's there's no nothing to be gained in in kind of beating yourself up and saying oh if we just put her there, standing in front of this camera and you know not had her move and you know just with some graphics in the background would it have been different? I don't know. Like I don't know would that have made any difference at the end of the day? I don't know. Like we'll never know. Nobody will ever know because you never get a you never get a second chance unfortunately to do it. You know with the same act and the same conditions. So. Um, so I, I don't waste too much time thinking about what if, you know. Now, I want to know a little bit more about you, Michael, because you're an Irishman. We know what the history of Ireland is at the Eurovision Song Contest. Where did it begin for you? What are some of those early memories for you of uh, watching the contest when you were young? I have vague memories as a child of, see, of seeing um, Brotherhood of Man, I think, doing uh, Save All Your Kisses for Me. And the one that really kind of um, made an impression on me uh, was Johnny Logan's first win uh, in nineteen in nineteen eighty. Like that just was was the talk of the was the talk of the town, was the talk of the schoolyard, was the talk of the family, was the talk of everywhere. Like you know, so that you know sort of opened up this prospect that this like you know massive spotlight would be shone up on Dublin. You know, and that um, that was exciting as well at the time. You know, that the, the eyes of the world, so to speak would be on uh, on Dublin and could we pull off an event that would be the same standard as the rest of Europe and um, could we you know impress Eurovision audiences around the world with the, with our technical and creative ability and you know we, we we did and then we got as you know we got the opportunity to do it six more times in the in the following 15 or 20 years you know. Now are some of those victories and some of those uh, editions of the contest in the 90s are those the sort of things that inspired you to take up the, the the world of work you're in now? You know, you've got, what, is it two decades or so of TV production under your belt? Is that the sort of thing that inspired you to, to get into that business? You make it sound like a long time, <laughs> two decades, you know? I mean, <laughs> feels like only yesterday when I started, you know? Um, Ireland's win, to be honest, I started my professional career as a radio producer, so um, television wasn't something that really figured for me until about the year 2000 or 2001 
my 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 really my first sort of um, professional induction into the world of Eurovision came in 2008 with Dustin the Turkey. because of a strange quirk in the rules at the time, there was a colleague of mine called Julian, Julian Vignoles, and without boring you too much about the internal goings on in either RTE or the EBU, Julian was on the reference group, you know, the Eurovision reference group at the time. And in 2008, there was a rule that said you couldn't be on the reference group and also be a head of delegation. So I got dragged in to be the head of delegation because Julian was on the reference group. And that was my first induction into the world of Eurovision. And, you know, the public chose Dustin. I didn't choose him, um, you know, even though we, we had a you know, great time going out there and I'm, I'm a, I would be a, a friend of Dustin's, you know. Um, so once we got to Belgrade and, and I saw the scale of Eurovision, how big it had become, the sort of show it was, the sort of um, hyper-professional, you know, contest that this thing had become, it, it just blew me away. And once I saw it in action, I thought, I really want to be a part of this. But after Dustin the Turkey uh, failed to qualify, then they, they didn't give me another go until uh, about five years later. So until Julian retired, then I got kind of made the sort of the more permanent head of delegation, you know, as much as anybody is permanent doing anything in RTE. <laughs> what was it like in 2008? Because you brought it up, you brought Dustin the Turkey up there. You said, of course, it wasn't you who chose the act. It was the public who chose it for, for whatever reason that was. What was it like for you to, I don't know, is defend the right word? Because we know what the response was like across Europe and inside the arena. It was, it was a bit of a difficult response, wasn't it? How was it? What was it like for you to try and defend that? Um, well, to be honest, I because it was my first experience of Eurovision, I didn't realise that I, I, I that people really hated him, you know, and and some people really did hate him, and they hated us for they blamed RTE, they blamed me, they blamed Dustin, they blamed everybody for bringing the the competition into disrepute. You know, at the time, I have to say, I did I didn't see it that way. Um, I mean, I I, I understand you know, in, in hindsight, why people, why people had that reaction, I suppose, um, because it is a serious competition and, you know, um, sending a joke is, a, is, you know, it's, it's funny for about five minutes, but it doesn't, it doesn't tend to, like a joke acts don't tend to, first of all, they don't do well. And secondly, they don't, you know, there's no, there's no longevity in, in, in a, in a one trick joke, you know, 2013 then these five years later when you return as the head of delegation must have been a much more enjoyable experience given you've got one year under your belt say again Michael Dustin was great fun like you know I have to say like that we had 
we had such a good time in Belgrade, you know, just being part of uh, Dustin's entourage and all that kind of stuff. That was so there was no question that we didn't have fun in in Belgrade. But I mean, it, it was it was I always think of that as a completely separate experience to the rest of my time as head of delegation. But so, yeah, when we got to Malmo then in 2013, it was a different different ballgame because we had uh, Ryan Dolan, who a uh, great singer and, um, you know, which was I thought was a really, really well put together act. Um, a guy, uh, a guy called Stuart, who we work with a lot in RT, put together the act, and um, you know it, it it qualified for the final, and that was of course a new a new experience for me. That was the first time that my second time being in Eurovision that you know we would we qualified for um, for the actual Eurovision. So so from from that point of view, it was. Uh, it, you know that 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 was certainly different to the the, the first time around, but it um it, it, it was definitely um it was it was definitely more I suppose a more a normal more an indicator of what Eurovision was normally like for me I suppose. Give us an insight into what your role then looks like from then on. You've been involved since 2013 as that head of delegation. Yeah. During during the time when you're there, but also in those weeks and months running up to the contest when you are involved in choosing the song and helping organize the people who are staging it, how busy do you get? How involved do you get in all this? Like it depends on the act. Some, some acts are more, are more sure about their own, you know, um, creative concept, you know, and that they have a much sort of stronger vision of what they want to do. Um, other years, the, 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 the singer or the artist wouldn't, wouldn't have any idea really what what they want to see on stage for themselves you know so it depends year to year and um, but generally speaking like this year now for instance we had our, our <clears throat> call out for songs at the end at the beginning of um, sorry middle of september that closed at the end of october and we've gotten over 300 you know 320 entries something like that so what i've done is i have um I've assembled a panel of about 12 people just to um, shortlist them from 320 because it takes quite a long time to listen to 320 songs, you know, and also and also not to get tired. Like you have to space them out. You can't just do it. You can't just sit down and spend 48 hours going through 320 songs because it's, you know, it, 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 it's not fair to the artist because you need to consider each song, you know, on its own merit. So it takes takes a few weeks to go through all of these. So I have as I said, about 12 other people who are also going through the songs separately. And each of us are co- coming up with our top, you know, 20 or 30, you know, that we're going to put into a long list. So we've nearly got that process completed. I've nearly got my long list of about 30 or 35 songs. And then I'm going to put together a panel of about maybe 20 or 25 people. And that will be um, people who work in the music business, people who work in television and radio um, I'm involving a lot of fans this time um, some of the Irish fans uh, because you know they're they're a, a great part of Eurovision and they're a resource that I think that maybe we've underused in previous years and also they, you know by and large they know what they're talking about you know and that's one of the um, one of the reasons why I'm keen to get them on board as well you know so it's not just down to I mean people think that it's just some middle-aged bloke from Dublin picking the song, you know, and 
nobody else has any say and it's all down to me and then I tell them what to do on stage I tell them what to wear I tell them what they're like that's not the way it works you know so once the artist is chosen and, and in, in the next um, three or four weeks we'll have our shortlist which will go on the Late Late Show at the end of um, January and then we will probably have you know a combination of a national jury an international jury and the public decide then which one of those five or six songs will go ahead and represent us in um, Turin. So once that happens, then I will uh, work with the artists then because we'll need to do all the stuff that the Eurovision requires to do. We'll need, a pre we'll, need a, uh, we'll need to make a preview video. We'll possibly need to make a backup tape again this year, uh, maybe. All of the administration work that nobody ever thinks about. We'll need the contracts signed. You know, we'll need all those kind of the, the Eurovision contracts. All of that stuff takes time and um, then we've got to work out what we're going to do on stage, you know, so then we have to, you know, consider do we need to hire a graphics design company, we, we would employ then a creative director uh, of some sort or a choreographer, depending on who the artist is, you know, I mean, the artist may, as I said, the artist may have a very, very strong vision about what they want to do, you know, so um, it just depends, you know, so that's so that all happens sort of January, February, beginning of March. Then there's usually the head of delegation meeting at the beginning of March, and that's the deadline for submitting all of these, these things. You know, then we're kind of finalizing, we're finessing our stage performance on paper between sort of the middle of March and the end of March uh, and the beginning of um, April. So, um, so that's, what, that's basically what I do. Like, you know, a lot of my time is taken up with, Budgets, logistics, um, contracts, um, creative stuff, you know, but that's that's essentially what my job is and trying to keep the thing on the rails. That's another thing, like <laughs> trying to keep the the whole the whole show on the rails. Like that can be harder than you think sometimes, you know. Oh dear me, I'm getting in hot sweats here thinking about what your email <laughs> inbox looks like because yeah. I imagine that is just oh well done to you for keeping on top of all that. I want to talk a little bit more about um 2022 you're talking about this song submission window very impressive to get over 300 songs submitted in there and i was looking at when rte put that application out and seeing what you were looking for and one of the things i read was that you're looking for an accomplished uh songwriter with a proven track record or a proven track record of success rather in the music industry is that one of the most important things that's on your mind when you're looking for a songwriter and a song for next year um, not, no, not necessarily. I mean, the reason why I put that in there is because I want to emphasize the, <clears throat> the idea that this is a top professional competition. This is not an amateur competition. It's not, an, it's not Opportunity Knox. It is the most professional song contest in the world, and it attracts the top professionals from all over the world. So that's the reason why I put that in there. I and mean, it's not that I want to discourage amateurs, but I want them to think, think twice before they start bombarding me with stuff that they've written during lockdown. You know, you'd be amazed the amount of people that send me songs and then ring me up and ask me why I didn't select them. And then you find out they, they haven't seen the Eurovision since 1978, you know, and they don't know how it's developed or evolved are, you know, so all that kind of stuff. So, um, so that's it. So I'm just, I'm just putting that in there just to, in a, in a, in a vain efforts to try and 
attract people of, I suppose, who are serious about songwriting and to know and understand the nature of the competition they're trying to enter. Well, you've heard most of the songs by now, so presumably you can give us a bit of an insight. Are most of them pretty good? Are most of them up there in terms of quality that you were looking for? Well, um, I won't say most of them, no. I mean, most of them are still, most of them are still from people who don't watch the competition, clearly don't watch the competition. You know, I mean, I don't know, is there anybody that knows the three-minute rule? You know what I mean? Like, everybody knows that a song can't be longer than three minutes. I got one song that was six minutes long, you know, and I don't know whether they're trying to represent two countries or um, whether they, you know, but like, uh, um, so what, what, so then like, I don't even get into trying to analyze these things too (laughs) deeply because why would you send a six minute song to a competition that has a three minute rule? I don't know. The, the, the the quality, the standard of the, the ones that are good this year is, is very good, actually, if you ask me. I think that we will have no difficulty getting five really good songs for the Late Late Eurovision special in January. I, I think that's, you know, I think that's going to be fairly easy, you know, to do. And in fact, I think it'll be, the, the hardest part will be leaving the three or four or five other good ones behind to put these in, in the Eurosong. And I'm also encouraged by the fact, talking about just songwriters, I'm also encouraged by the fact that a lot of people who are well-known in the Irish music industry, people who are in contemporary bands, are now looking at Eurovision as a good opportunity, you know, to as an, a good outlet for their songwriting. So I'm encouraged by the calibre of people who are getting involved, you know. So do you think we may end up seeing, or at least for people in Ireland will at least, will they end up seeing some names of songwriters that they know or some artists that they may well know of? I, I think people will be surprised on the Late Late Show. I think that there will be inevitably, like in, in that, even though I don't want to preempt the process, but um, I think inevitably, just having listened to the, the calibre and quality of the songs, I think there will be well-known faces popping up on the Late Late Show, yeah. One of the questions we got from somebody on Twitter, and I really like this question actually, comes from Hall, and he was asking about your opinion on the Irish language at the contest. And he was wondering if we would potentially ever see the Irish language come back to the contest. Um, yeah, yeah, is the, is the answer to that. I mean, um, like it's all down to the song, you know? I mean, and um, like I, I would be delighted to be able to go to a Eurovision with an Irish language song that was able to compete at that level, you know. Um, I suppose the, the the problem here is that most people write in the English language because that's their first language. So there aren't that many Irish language pop song writers, put it that way. So I don't get, I'm not inundated with Irish language songs. There are one or two in the in the, the 300, amongst the 320 or whatever odd songs we, we have. But it's 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 only one or two. It's not there isn't 50. You know what I mean? So um, so the odds of that one or two being the song that makes it to the Eurovision, that makes it to the final is, I think, is 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 going to be low this year. But, you know, it certainly wouldn't rule it out for the future. Well, that's good news. That's very exciting for the future, at least. Um, another one comes from Twitter as well, uh, comes from somebody called B, and they're asking why you've gone down the route of the Late Late Show again. We've seen it used 
previously in the past to select the artist. Why go for the Late Late Show and not a standalone show, for example? Well, I mean, it's, it's quite simply, and I say this all the time, it's quite simply down to finance, because I would love to do a melody festival style, Swedish style show, where we have six weeks of heats and finals and semi-finals before we get to the final. But it's down to finance. Like RTE isn't a rich organization. In fact, we're, we're the opposite of a rich organization. So, um, so we have to be um, prudent and shrewd about how we do things. You know, People gave out to me in the past when I didn't have a national final at all, when we just had a, you know, when we just did an internal selection and, you know, we just announced who it was and we played their song on the radio. You know, people didn't like that because they felt they got no real say in you know choosing the artist and i think that's fair enough fair point and um you know and it, we we did it for a few years and it, you know it worked with worked with ryan o'shaughnessy we got to the final it didn't work so well with nikki byrne didn't work so well with sarah mctiernan you know didn't work so well with brendan murray so we decided so i decided look i mean we 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 always look to change things up you know we never ever i'm never uh, every year i always look at what we do and see is there any way we can do things differently i got the message from the fans they said they wanted a say in what we were doing and they wanted to see a selection of songs and they wanted a chance to vote on them in the, in a Eurosong final so then i explored the possibility of doing a standalone outside broadcast from a theater somewhere or whatever but the finances just don't add up you know i mean if 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 I did that, you know, something else, we, you know, we wouldn't be able to do Dancing with the Stars. We wouldn't be able to do, you know, something else that's very popular with the Irish audiences. You know, we've done it on The Late Late Show before. The Late Late Show is the biggest talk show in the country. It has a huge audience. It has a lot, of, lot more younger demographics, you know, watching it than people ever give it credit for, you know, but, um, but, they, but they do, you know. And um, so... It, it just, look, it just made sense from a financial point of view to go back and do it. And, you know, Ryan Tuberty, who presents The Late Late Show, is a closet Eurovision fan, despite what he'll tell you himself. Um, and, and you know what? It's given us, didn't it give us some of our most memorable moments the last time we did it? I was going to say, oh, are we going to see any more drama like we did in, was it 2015 with Linda Martin and co? Are we going to see that again? <laughs> Was it 2015 or 2014? Maybe it was 2014. I can't remember now, but it was, yeah, there was drama with Linda and Billy McGuinness from uh, a band called Aslan. Yeah. But like, where would you get that kind of drama? You are an odious little man. Oh, oh. Linda. Oh. Linda. Oh. The only, the only person. Excuse Louis, me. that bounces off Louis Walsh. I, 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 I have not made The only person you were you. damaging up there was your Did I, men did I mention the fact? Hold it there. Hold it there. You shouldn't be on the panel neither because you're in Louis on Louis' payroll. Let me tell you. So you shouldn't be there neither. If we see even one percent of that again, I'm sure people would be happy. Um, just remind us, give us an idea about what that late late show Eurovision special is going to look like. We're going to have five artists, is it? There is going to be five or six. Yeah, it hasn't been fully decided yet. Um, five or six artists. Um, it's going to be, well, the whole show will be dedicated to the Eurovision the way we've done it in the past, you know, so you'll, you'll, you'll see the five acts. There'll be some sort of interval 
Act, you know, like we've had in the past. We've had Lordy have been an interval act. Um, Bucks Fizz have been an interval act. Johnny Logan, obviously, has been an interval act. Linda, Neve, they've all been Charlie and Paul, rock and roll kids. They've all been there. Um, so that that part of the production is very much up to the Late Late Show um, team themselves uh, to decide who they want. Um, so my job is to find the five or six acts that will go on the show and give us a realistic chance of doing well in Turin. And is it a 50-50 jury public vote on, on that one as well? I, I don't think so, to be honest. I think it's going to be maybe um, 30, 33% Irish public, 33% national jury, 33% international jury. That's my thinking at the moment, but like, you know, that could change. And finally on that one, do you have a date for our diaries? You said it was the end of January, is that right? Well, uh, you you can pencil in, but don't hold me to it, the 21st of January. Perfect. I think we'll all be looking forward to the 21st of January with a little asterisk at the end. And uh, hopefully we we'll, might have to change it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Michael, let's look ahead to 2022 then, May next year in Turin. You've talked about what the, you know, that emotion is like when you just don't qualify for the grand final. What are the what are the big hopes for, for May next year? Um, my hopes for 2022 in Turin are obviously to qualify. That would be the first thing. Um, and then once you qualify, then I think all bets are off. You know, what happens in the final then is in the lap of the gods, you know, and no better place to be than Italy when you're relying on the various gods to give you a hand, you know. Can I ask you the biggest hypothetical question possible? If money was no object, if Ireland wins in 2022, which city were you going to do in 2023? Which arena are we going to do? Who's your artist and who well, are your big end of acts? Well, which, which arena is very simple to answer because we don't have any arenas in Dublin <laughs> um, or in Ireland. The only, the only, um, the only arena, <clears throat> to be honest, the only arena big enough that is a purpose-built music venue is the, the, the three arena, which is in down by the Docklands in Dublin. It, it would be very, very difficult. I mean, I don't know. I, I, don't, I haven't even investigated this, but it, it, like you would have to take over the arena for four or five weeks. You know, that's the way it works. You need that amount of time <clears throat> to go in, to set up the stage, to organize all the stuff around. It. So I don't even know if, if the three arena will be available for that amount of time. I don't know. So the occasionally in, in, you know, if, if I uh, find myself daydreaming, wondering what we're going to do if we win it. Um, you know, I, 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 I think, I don't know, maybe we'd have to look at, you know, putting a roof on the Aviva Stadium here, maybe put, you know, going into the uh, one of the other GAA football grounds and trying to, to um, turn it into a venue. Um, I don't know. I think it would be, I, I think if we did win it, it would be a challenge to stage it the following year. But I, and I, I think we could do it, but I think we might have to reinvent it a little bit. I mean, we might have to scale it down from what it currently is. You know, I mean, I think currently they require you know, maybe a, a venue with a capacity of ten or 15,000 people. So we might have to look at trying to reduce it and scale a little bit to suit our, our means. But um, I don't know. Would it be a nice headache to have anyway? I was going to say, it would be a very nice problem to have if that was the case in a couple of years' time, wouldn't it? Yeah, it certainly would. Yeah, I mean, like, as for me as a television producer, 
it would be brilliant to, you know, uh, before before I get fired or before I retire or before, you know, I get hit by a bus, it would be nice to have um, the competition back in Ireland again, yeah. Well, let's hope Ireland win the contest before a bus comes along for you, Michael. That's all, that's all I've got to say. Oh, what a pleasure this has been, Michael. Thank you so much for stopping by for a chat. And hopefully, if your very busy schedule allows, we'll chat to you again on the podcast before next May. Yeah, pleasure talking to you, James. This is the Euro Trip. Michael Keeley there here on the Euro Trip. Uh, great to have him on, given he's... Uh, looking I was gonna say looking forward to be hitting by a bus he brought it up first <laughs> hopefully we get to see Ireland actually win the Eurovision Song Contest before that actually happens It'd be great to see and a great problem for Michael to have to try and plan a contest in Ireland for what the eighth time yeah let's hope that he just isn't hit by a bus at all and Ireland win win Eurovision let's hope that those two events aren't interlinked but so good to hear from him incredibly open it's great when these head of delegations agree to appear on the podcast because they can just give such a unique insight and insight that we know that you listening at home crave me and James do as well equally as much as you do so it's great to be able to put the questions to them thank you for sending in some of your questions and um, hopefully we've got some of those answered as well and we've got uh, one or two other head of delegations coming up in the next few months here on the podcast some really really interesting insights into a variety of different countries on the way but uh, sort of reminded me of your chat with Lee Smithurst from from the BBC from almost a year ago but it was it was that level of of insight into just what goes into selecting an action and everything else that goes around that. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because we're so used to hearing from some of the artists we hear from at least one a week. And it's always great to hear that sort of insight, isn't it, about what it's like performing and songwriting and all that sort of thing. But the heads of delegations and anybody involved behind the scenes, shall we say, just bring this whole new atmosphere, don't they? The answer to the questions that we're, we're begging to hear the answers to. And like Michael was there and like, as you mentioned, Lee was around this time last year, always so open uh, and giving us the answers that we really want to hear certainly it was so good if you have listened to that and you think oh my friend would love to hear that or you know i would love to share that with an irish eurovision fan who may not know of the podcast may not have heard that please do send them our way get them to have a listen to this because i think they will definitely be interested so uh, any irish eurovision fan or any eurovision fan in your life make sure they have a listen to that because i think they will find that chat thoroughly insightful now here we go again it is time for the one second song and james i'm gonna pick you up on something else here because i picked you up at the start of the episode on something because you've not yet booked your transport to junior eurovision even though we've promised everybody listening that we'll be broadcasting some special shows from paris another thing you haven't done uh, excuse me I've, I've, I've i don't know what you call me out. i genuinely don't know what you're going to call me out on here haven't updated the spreadsheet have you Oh, that, that wasn't my job, was it? Was that not more your job? I don't think we actually delegated that in the end. What makes that more my job out of interest? Because you replied to Martin's email. So I just thought that was you taking responsibility for it. Okay, what well, new listeners, uh, Martin, you may not know, uh, sent us an email last week with a, or maybe a couple of weeks ago, with a spreadsheet so that we could keep up with our one second song scores and I'll do them in my head now, but rest assured, Martin, the spreadsheet will not go to waste. We will update this. Uh, it is currently 
James 8, Rob 4. And James, please, a reminder of what the one second song is. It's the end of the podcast. We do it every week. We play one another the very first second of a Eurovision song and we take it in turns to guess the artist, the song title, the year it was performed at the contest and the country it represented. And every week, as an additional bonus, there is potentially a very tenuous link between the One Second Song and the podcast that you have just listened to. Now, it's me to guess this week. James, you've picked the song. Can I have a listen? Yes, you can. So for you, Rob, and you listening at home, here is this week's One Second Song. Wow. It's an energetic opening, that, isn't it? Yes, it is. Energetic, but is it recognisable? Not not hugely, no. Um, no, I'll have it again. It's another one of those where when you tell me, I am going to be like, of course it's that song. But until then, I'm pretty, pretty at a loss uh, with that one, I think. While you take a moment to try and think about what it is, I can just guarantee that you will kick yourself when you find out what this is. Because I can also guarantee that, I don't know, I imagine a lot of you listening are screaming the answer because, yeah, I'd say it is. I'm going to say it. I think it's an easy one this week. I knew you were going to say that, which makes me feel even worse. Um, it's not this. It's not this, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's <laughs> this anyway. Is it that uh, that absolutely mental song that San Marino sent one year? That could be any year. I appreciate. Um, with uh, was it Jessica and Jennifer and the robot? Um, San Marino 2018. Let's go with that. No, it's not that. I was wondering where you were going with that for a moment. But no, put you out your misery straight away. It is not that. We are, in fact, going all the way back to 2020. All the way? All the way back <laughs> to 2020? Go on. All the way back to 2020. We're heading to Ireland. It's Leslie Roy with Story of My Life. Any Irish cousins listening to this who have stuck around after the Michael Keeley interview will be asking for my Eurovision fan card to be revoked after this. I can't believe you didn't get that. Now you agree, it was a fairly easy one this week. It was a fairly easy one. It was a fairly easy one. Yeah, I kind of forget about Story of My Life. Just because Maps was such a good song, I always associate Leslie Rowe with Maps and less with Story of My Life. Story of My Life, not a bad song. But I'd yeah, I'd, I'd kind of put it to the 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 the, re- the, ba- the far recesses of my memory, as as we just heard. And also one of those songs that we didn't actually get to see performed live ever, isn't it? So I can sort of forgive you. However, here's your opportunity. Can you get a bonus point that we don't give points for? Can you guess its tenuous connection to this week's episode? I mean, I'm going to do a you here and just go for with a 
a really straightforward one, which is just that we had Michael Keeley, the Irish head of delegation, on and Leslie Roy represented Ireland. <laughs> yes, you are 100% correct. That's it. I was hoping <laughs> to throw you a curveball for you to try and think, oh, well, we had Aussie Vision on to Australia back in 1980, whatever. But no, it was as simple <laughs> as that. Very, very good. Well, the scores remain then. James 8, Rob 4, and you will have a chance to extend your lead on next week's podcast because it's time for us to go. Thank you very much to all of you who have tuned in this week. Thank you for sticking around, for listening to what was a fascinating chat with Michael Keeley, Ireland's head of delegation. And as James has said, and I've said it already, if you've got any thoughts on that or anything else you've heard on this podcast, at Eurotrip Podcast on the Twitter, on the Instagram, and hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email, as well as if you know the answer to which Eurovision that piece of theme music was from that we played a little bit earlier on. Yeah, please get in touch and put us out of our misery and we'll find out what the answer was in seven days' time when we're back for a brand new episode. But in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. We've never recorded this hour before, have we? I don't think we've ever done a lunchtime kickoff. No. no. Lunchtime kickoff. <laughs> Live on BT Sport. <laughs> it's the big one. Eurotrip episode 51, where you can watch the live streaming of Robin James in their living rooms. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.